We've been working our way through the book of John. And John is a rich mine. So sometimes you have to go slow. There's a lot of gold to be hauled out of these tunnels. Sometimes you have to think hard to figure out what, he, what on earth could he mean by that. We're in chapter 14, and we're in, well, we've gone into this section in the book of John that is Jesus' last words, sort of, <laughs> sort of, but not at all. His final address to the disciples before his death. He knows what's coming, he's told them what's coming. but I don't think they've really gotten it or believed it. It doesn't fit with their idea of the Messiah, the Christ, as they've conceived what that person would do. Nevertheless, he proceeds and he gives these words and while he's speaking to them that night, that last night. He keeps saying, you know, they'll ask him questions. And he keeps saying, well, you're not a, you don't understand it now, but you will understand it later. And then he says, I'm going away. And they say, well, why can't we go with you? And he says, well, you can't come now, but you will come later. And we will end up together in the end. And they, of course, don't realize what they're asking because where he's going, he says, is back to the Father. But the path to go back to the Father, the glorious path, he says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How will he be glorified? He'll be lifted up on a Roman cross. Well, that is actually very difficult to make sense out of. You know, as Christians in the 21st century, we've gotten used to making sense out of it. But it is really nonsense that the living God would die on a Roman cross is absurd. And yet... <laughs> And yet, the only way to restore life to sinful people. And so, glorious beyond compare. And Martin Luther, of course, made a lot of this. He called it the theology of the cross. He said, nobody would look for God in the only place where he can be found. Now that tells you a few things. Wherever we are looking for him other than that place, we do not find him. When we look at the cross, there he is. In the last place God should ever be. 
That's where he's found. And it is in sharing death with us that he brings us through to resurrection, life, and the promise of God is in Christ. Those who trust in Christ will be raised from the dead. And in fact, in some measure, in some sense, that has already occurred, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. We have been raised with him, and we are seated with him even now at the right hand of God in heaven. Well, these things are hard to figure. These things are hard to figure. I find, I find it has been very useful to me in my life, and my life as someone who's looking to Christ, trusting Christ, that it has been very useful to me to not pretend that the Bible is not outrageous. I think there were too many knots in that sentence. I'm going to try it again. Most of us Christians read the Bible and we read over these outrageous things and we pretend they're not so outrageous. And when we pretend they're not so outrageous, we don't actually deal with them. For me, it's better if you notice. So when Jesus says, if you don't love me more than you love your mother, get out. You are not worthy to follow me. That's outrageous. How can he say a thing like that? Only if he is who he says he is can he get away with that sort of thing. I can't tell you that. I can't say, look, if, you're not, if you don't love me more than you love your mother, you can't be in this church. You would all leave voluntarily and rightly. It's outrageous and it's good if we notice when it's crazy because then we really have to deal with it and think about it and figure it out. Hard work. You got to think. I don't know about you, but thinking makes me tired. But here in this text, we got things to think about. Here in this book of John, chapter 14, Jesus says, I mean, did you hear what we looked at last week? Those who believe in me will do the things that I do and greater things. Man, you got to think about that. What could be greater than raising Lazarus from the dead? Now, we're not going to go over last week's sermon too much, but we do have to go over it a little bit because it is the context for this week's sermon. And we've got to notice that those who believe in Jesus, he said, the works that I do and greater works than these you will do. Because I'm going to the Father, and remember, going to the Father means going to the cross, 
going through the cross to the tomb, to the empty tomb, to the ascension, where now we are told by Scripture, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his believers. So it's because of that we do greater works. And we figured out last time what this means is God, Jesus is saying to us, God will dwell in you and you will make God known by making Christ known, not just in your words, but in your life. You will be a different person because God, like God, dwells in Jesus. Uh, The Father is in me and I am in the Father. He just said that right in this context. And because that's true, I do what I see the Father doing. Jesus is constantly saying, I'm sent by God. I'm sent by the Father. I only say what he gives me to say. I only do what he gives me to do. I see what he's doing and I go with that. I do that. And Jesus is saying that sort of thing will happen to you, disciple. And what's greater about it is it will be powered because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it will only be possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Spirit will dwell in us in a whole new way because of the resurrection of Christ. And the power of God will be present in us like it was in Christ. And all of that is greater because in the meantime, he has died and risen from the dead. Has atoned for sin, reconciled us to God so that we walk in active fellowship with God. If you trust in Christ, you walk in active fellowship with God. Sometimes, most of the time perhaps, It doesn't feel like anything. But it's true, whether it feels like anything or not. And of course, if God needs to move you, He can move you. If He needs you to hear something, He can say it. He can provide whatever is necessary. And in fact... That is actually the very next thing Jesus says. He says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I'm thinking up some stuff to ask. Anything. Anything. Outrageous. How can he say a thing like that? That doesn't even make sense. What on earth? Whatever you ask, I'll do it if you ask in my name. Well, now I know why... My parents taught me to conclude every single prayer I ever pray with the phrase, in Jesus' name, amen, which means whatever I said, may it be so. In Jesus' name.
Has anyone here asked for a million dollars in Jesus' name? Why not? Why not? Some of you may have. Some of you may have. Some of you may have gotten it. I knew this kid when I was a youth pastor. He was a teenager. He had just recently uh, become a licensed driver, which in the United States, by the way, everyone does when they're 16. Scary. But anyway, he needed a car. So we asked for one. One night, praying, he asked for a car. The next day, this guy called him up on the phone. The father of another teenager that was in my youth group, he said, Mike, I think you need a car, and I have one. You want it? And it was a Mazda RX-7. Not a car you should give any teenager. The thing was turbocharged. I mean, it was ridiculous. I said to Mike, after he told me this story, I said, um, I'm going to be sharing with you what I want you to ask God for. I love that because it's just an uninhibited, childish prayer, and God said yes. You know, God says yes to some uninhibited, childish prayers. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm going to start asking for that million dollars, and I think, well, why not a billion? You know, when I was a kid, my, you, if you said the, anything around my dad, like, I wish anything, whatever you concluded that sentence for, I wish my brother wasn't such an idiot, or I wish I had a bike, a better bike. And my father would always say this, well, if you're going to wish, wish for something big. Why don't you ask for a motorcycle? You're just wishing. When Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, whatever you ask, I will do it. We have to figure that out. Is he serious? Well, we have to put this in the context of what he's been talking about, which is uh, this resurrection life played out and displayed in this life. God will dwell in you. You will make him known by making Christ known. The resurrection life of Christ is to be played out now in this life to whatever extent it can be. And if you ask anything, oh, oh, that's a clue. As you lift the life that is made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ, as you live that life, the life of grasping and sharing the love of God in Christ by the Spirit, That is life, by the way. To get, to understand and cling and get the love of God for you and to share that love around you, 
and reflected to God himself, that is life. That's what God meant when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's what he was talking about. That we would walk in fellowship with him and so walk in right fellowship with everything else and especially each other. That's the whole story. And that is what Christ restores to us by his death and resurrection. As we live that life, the life of grasping, sharing the love of God and Christ by the Spirit, as you do that, you will see the need for certain greater works that require resources that you do not possess. You know what I'm talking about. You've had this experience. When I was 42 years old, I got directed, I think, by God to quit my job and go to seminary. That required resources that I did not possess. Now, the important resources that it required that I did not possess were not financial, though there was that. They were not material. They were character. They were the courage to obey God's direction in my life when this would be safer. To step out of this, this youth pastor job that I loved and go to graduate school and I'd already been to graduate school once, and I know I hate graduate school. It nearly killed me both times I did it. And I'm barely kidding. It is hard. But I did read the book of Jonah, and I know better than when God says this is the way you should go to try something else. And I know this is right and good, and I, so I had to pray. And when you live the life that's made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ, you're going to need to pray. You are called upon to exhibit the very love of Christ to people around you who don't want it. who might even, you know, resist it, who won't appreciate it. And you, naming the name of Christ, might not work out well in worldly terms. It requires resources of personal character that you do not currently possess. And by the way, so does just regular old life, even if you don't count that. And you will need to pray and you will need to ask 
for God to do things. You will need resources of a material nature. I mean, how many stories have you heard of some missionary organization that, I don't know, maybe they needed to build radio stations all over the world, and they needed to do this in order to broadcast the good news of God's grace toward human beings in Jesus Christ, and they needed millions and millions, tens and maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. So they ask. And there are these radio stations now all over the place right here in Bonaire. Required millions of dollars. And we don't have it, but God does. And when it's necessary to do those things he calls us to do, he provides it. You know that building we have going up out of there? We want it to be a testimony of something that God has done, not a testimony of what we're able to do. We want it to be a demonstration of God's provision, not ours. And so we ask God for resources we don't possess, and he is providing them way beyond our own capabilities. Material resources God provides, intellectual resources God provides, emotional resources you know, it takes a certain amount of courage to live the resurrection life of Christ in this world. And you might find yourself occasionally discouraged, hard to get up and do it again the next day, discouraged. Where does the emotional strength come from? Ask. For heaven's sake, ask. Now, God may probably doesn't usually, but he, he doesn't usually just charge you up like magic. That does happen, though. You've probably experienced it. It does happen. It happens with some frequency. But, you know, his normal way of giving encouragement, of bucking you up, of keeping you going is the fellowship, the loving fellowship of the body of Christ where someone says to you, thank you, I appreciate your efforts or someone says, hey, can I help? Or anyone says anything encouraging to you. Like, or they just come in and smile. Or they're cheerful or they... Well, sometimes you need something like a kick in the pants. And somebody gives it to you. Look, just get out there. Do it. I know you're tired, but it's worth it if you stick to it. Emotional resources God provides, ask. Relational resources, I guess I've already been talking about that where you need the fellowship of another person, you need the handshake and the hug. So even in this time when we're not supposed to be shaking hands and hugging, sometimes we better. Sometimes it's the only thing.
Nowadays, I guess we have to think about how can I do it without that, but sometimes that is required. And the spiritual resources, that, that image of God thing that is in, the, in every human being that you ever meet is created in the image of God and there is a spiritual source It is mysterious, incomprehensible, and necessary to human life. And so, ask. I don't know what you need, but Jesus says, anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. I guess we need to figure out what in my name means. It means two things. First of all, it's where you stand in order to ask in Jesus' name. The book of Hebrews, as you know, says because we have this great high priest who knows our experience and what we're going through because he has been one of us, he even passed through death, and he knows, he knows better than we do the hardship of being a person in this world. And because of that, the scripture says, we can come boldly with confidence before the throne, which is now a throne of grace. You know, it's also a throne of judgment, but not to you if you are in Christ. And you can come boldly in that place in Jesus' name. It's where you stand. It's your only access. That's why I write in this very text in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. But through him, you can come in there like you own the place. You can boldly come to God who is holy and righteous and stand there and ask for whatever nutty, childish thing you have on your mind. And trust Him <laughs> to do what's right and good. So the first thing we want to say about asking Jesus' name is that's, that's the only place you have for asking. Anything from God. The only standing you have before God is in Jesus' name. And the second thing we want to say about asking in Jesus' name is it's, it's not just where you stand to ask, it's also the authority you invoke. We have government officials here in Bonaire, and they come do what they do in the king's name. Now, we don't really think much of kings anymore, but, you know, you get the idea. They invoke a certain authority when they invoke a certain name. You had this experience if you have brothers and sisters. 
When you go to your brother and you say, Mom says you have to, I'm speaking to my brother in my mom's name. I'm invoking her authority. And if I'm not right, he might go check. And then mom's name is going to be trouble. It's the authority you invoke. I, I think maybe I take this little phrase I put at the end of every prayer. Like, I can't help it. I have tried once or twice to just skip over, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, and just say, amen. It, I, it's hard because it's so drilled in my head from childhood, you know. In Jesus' name, I think it's too casual. I need to think about it. I need to think about what I'm saying when I say, in Jesus' name. One thing I think about when I say, in Jesus' name, is hallelujah, I can stand here in Jesus' name. It is a breathtaking privilege. I can ask... In Jesus' name. Then I need to think, do I really want to ask for this? In Jesus' name? Do I really want to say, and Jesus says about this? Might make me more careful. This a little phrase, whatever you ask in my name, it inevitably leads to submission to God's superior wisdom. It's where Jesus goes later this night when he says, but not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Here's what I'm asking for, Lord, but you and I both know how stupid I am, so give me what's good for me. I think it's this in Jesus' name. (laughs) And in Jesus' name, I can stand there and not worry about it. This inevitably leads to submission to God's superior wisdom. So, when I pray in Jesus' name, I'm always open to the possibility of something better than whatever I'm imagining. Like we read in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your way. In other words, like immeasurably. You can't tell how much higher because it's so much higher. It's in a completely separate league, our ways and his ways. And so I think whenever I pray, I come in Jesus' name and I know, I know God can be trusted to exercise superior wisdom
That's what it means to ask in Jesus' name. I'm trying to live out the the born-again life that is installed in me by the indwelling Holy Spirit in trusting in Christ. And as I'm living that out, things become necessary that I don't have the resources for. And so I say, Lord, in Jesus' name, this. And I can expect a positive response. Jesus says, I will do it. Oh my goodness, there is something big in that statement. Whatever I ask in Jesus' name while doing the greater works that that the cross of Christ and the resurrection make possible for me to engage in, whatever I ask in Jesus' name, who's going to do it? Jesus. Oh, 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 this, I don't have the resources to pull off, but he will do it. You see, our doing the greater works is something he does. In fact, if we thought about what the greater works are, which are God actually coming to dwell in a person and expressing the life of God in the life of that person, well, there you have it. It's God who does the greater works while you do them. What an amazing privilege he has given us to be the instrument of his love and provision in the lives of other people. Like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want to know how Paul did all those ridiculous, sacrificial, painful, difficult things for the cause of the gospel, this is how. He didn't do them. Christ did them in him. Oh, well, and that means he did do them. And as you live the the resurrection life, the, the gospel demonstration life, he does that too in you. And as you do that, you will perceive certain things are lacking That is by design. Why? Why would God design it this way? Because the point, the point is asking. I can't believe I've made it this far into this sermon and I haven't said this already. However, whatever it is you're asking God for, Whatever it is, the fact that you can stand there and ask God for it is a bigger deal than whether or not he gives it to you. 
You have already engaged in the thing for which Christ died when you start conversing with Almighty God. When you bring your little, stupid, petty, whatever, or maybe it's big and important, whenever you bring your need to the living God Almighty, the fact that you can stand there, the fact that you have access to the throne of God is way bigger than whatever you think you need. You're, you already have the main prize whenever you start to pray. This is why I keep saying, I know you're probably tired of hearing it, prayer is all there is to the Christian life. Christ lives in you. The life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Then, I, I'm running out of time here, but we've got to notice <laughs> why. Why? When Jesus says, ask me whatever you need in my name, I'll do it. And then he says it again, except in the middle, he says something about why. Did you catch it? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Curious. You see, this is like the theme of this whole section in the, this part of the book of John is the whole thing of the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. There's a mutual indwelling, a, a perichoresis of the Trinity and the Spirit involved as well. And the Father's in the Son and the Son's in the Father and there's like a dance of fellowship, of perfect unity with individuation with with persons three persons one being and there's the father's not the son but the father is intimately involved in every aspect of the life of the son and vice versa and so jesus says like don't you see the father is in me and i'm in the father if you've seen me you've seen him and what what jesus is doing the his mission that he is sent by god <clears throat> to accomplish is to draw those who believe into that union. And just wait till we get to chapter 17 where he starts saying this right out loud. That they would have the same love that we have, Father. That they would be one with us like we are one. Oh my gosh, it's unimaginable. But what is going on is we are being drawn into the, to the very eternal fellowship of the living God. This is what He made us for, to be exhibits of that reality. <clears throat> this is all about us getting caught up in the glorious fellowship, the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Praying in Jesus' name is about the restoration of being made in his likeness in order to bear his image. 
Father as source, Son as agent, Spirit as power, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This reminds me of that text in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, there's something identifiably empowered by God in the good deeds of those who are letting their light shine in this way. And here he's saying, look, you will be caught up into the very fellowship of God where you will find every necessary resource for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to show in your life. Ask. So, I just want to close with this one statement. Wherever you are in the Christian journey, maybe you just started. Maybe it just occurred to you today. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a thousand years already. Or maybe it just feels that way. You might be a super mature Christian, and you might be really a baby Christian. Wherever you are, this is what leads you forward. You get that? Wherever you are, this, ask in my name, is what leads you forward. When you stop trusting whatever your capacities are, whatever blah, 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 whatever you're trusting other than Christ, and you look to God in Christ by the Spirit, you are moving forward. And that doesn't mean you're going to be able to get lazy and just sit there and, you know, turn into some sort of puppet. No. No, it's going to make it harder, more work, probably more things to pray about. Yet, this is the path forward. It's, it's connecting to this eternal resource that enables you to move ahead in trusting God. And what will happen is, you know, the Bible talks about Christian growth as growing in grace, not growing in good deeds. Now, you can't grow in grace and avoid the good deeds. You, we won't be able to help yourself. But the more you grow, the more you understand God's provision, God's goodness, God's greatness toward you, God's love for you, God's provision of every last kind of resource you might possibly need for you. It all flows from God. So wherever you, however long you've been a Christian, you never stop this, you just get more. You grow more, you pray more, you ask in Jesus' name more, not less. God doesn't say, okay, well, now I've made you, now you're, you can provide for yourself, go out there and get it done for me. No, he's always, I will do it. 
Ask. I will do it. You will be involved. You'll do it too. And it will be me in you doing it. That is the whole story. That is the whole thing. It is as simple as noticing I can trust God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's atoned for my sin. He's satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf. I can come in. I can be reconciled. I can enjoy his provision instead of his judgment. Wherever you are in the Christian journey, this is the thing that leads you forward. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness to us in Christ. Help us to uh, grow in our wisdom as we pray. But Lord, also to not be bashful, to pray for, for whatever's on our minds, to know that we are your beloved children in Christ, that uh, we don't have to be smart in our prayers, But Lord, we want to be. We ask you for that wisdom. <clears throat> Help us, Father, to give attention to your word in every area. Mostly, Father, help us to really know the love of Christ. To really get it more. To experience the transformation that comes from knowing it. To be able to share it. To know it by sharing it. Father, we, uh, we love you. Thank you that you did not leave us alone in our lost place. Thank you for the fellowship of this church. Lord, we pray that we would more and more reflect these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat>